That, ladies and gentlemen, is what it's all about. We see in, in the Gospels and in the New Testament the amount of times that Paul is talking about how much he longs to see people that he'd been, he'd been partnership, he'd partnered with in the Gospel, right? And we don't catch this many times in the New Testament, but, but the amount of people that are going or the amount of times people are being sent or the amount of time you know, Paul is investing in people and then leaves and then talks about how eagerly he, he can't wait to see these people. That's what the kingdom is like when you're a church that multiplies and, and even a small group or a life group that multiplies. There is a measure of bitter sweetness to it all because we're willing to walk away from what's comfortable and what we know and love in order to risk for something new and great for God to do. Amen. Guys, turn to John chapter 2. The message this morning, I'm going to work really hard uh, at this being a little bit uh, shorter in length today because we have a couple things that we've got uh, going on and planned at the end of service with our youth. But turn to John chapter 2 in the scriptures. I'm going to read this together. This is Jesus's, this is his very first miracle. He hasn't been, the Holy Spirit hasn't moved yet in the sense of like the dove and he's, he hasn't been officially commissioned so to speak. But he's at a party. He's at a wedding, nonetheless. And he's there with some of his disciples. And this is the text that we have. John chapter 2, 1 through 11. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. Or Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jugs, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum and with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. That was a longer story. But track with me here. I'm going to give a little context. Jesus has been invited to a wedding. Many, many theologians think this is a, a relative or a, you know, somebody that's in his family. And the disciples you know, are with him and they, they, they're attending this wedding with him. And lo and behold, the wine is running out. Now for you and I, we may look at that and think, yeah, that's kind of a bummer. Now, some of you are sitting here and thinking, that is a major bummer, right? 
But still, in the, in the perspective of an American, is it really the end of the world? No, it's not. Now, what you may not understand at a Jewish wedding is that a wedding doesn't last for a couple hours. Okay? This isn't like you had a ceremony and the reception afterwards and the food got a little thin or the wine ran out and yeah, it was kind of disappointing. No, no, no. A, a wedding, an Eastern wedding many times is lasting a week or longer in celebration. And so people would come, people would celebrate and they would be feasting and partying for the better part of a week together. And so when you are describing this event and you're running out of food and you're running out of wine, this is a big deal because your guests are counting on it. Number two, it's humiliating. Throughout the scriptures, we see wine as a symbol of God's blessing. And where God is, is blessing his people, his kings and his queens and his his literally the land of Israel, you see the, the wine flowing. Now don't get hung up on alcohol this morning and make it some huge churchy conversation about was it alcoholic or was it not? <laughs> it was, and who cares, right? Hear me. Jesus is, is, God is the judge of the heart and we're not sitting here worried about how much consumption is happening at the wedding or why Jesus changed water into an alcoholic substance. That isn't the conversation this morning, and it isn't the heart of the text. But I love the fact that you've got a bride and a bridegroom, and as, it, as far as we know, they don't even have a clue what is happening and what is about to happen. They're not even clued in on it. And as we jump into this in a little bit uh, further of a way, we're going to have a couple things to apply to our lives simply as, as we look at starting well. It's a standalone message today, and the reason we wanted to hit this is because many of us are starting new seasons, new jobs. If you have kids here uh, today, many of them have just started school. Uh, if you're homeschooling, they probably are starting a, a new homeschool curriculum. There's lots of newness happening, and even if none of those apply to you, summer is just coming to an end, if you can believe it. Which means a new season is upon us. So what does it look like to start that new season well? Jesus is starting something right here. We've got a young couple starting something together right here. We have disciples who have just started following Jesus. It's happening right here. We get some principles here on starting well that I think are worth us looking at today. In preparation for the season ahead. Amen? Father, be with us. Would you open the, the, the text to us today? How would you help us to grow in our faith? grow as a church, and to really walk into a new season together. Amen. Have you ever sat, maybe you grew up in church, or maybe, maybe you're new to this whole faith thing, 
But even if you speak to somebody who isn't really part of a church all that much, there's a common denominator that oftentimes weaves its way into our culture. And that's this idea that God measures things in terms of big and small. Or maybe a better way to say it is he measures things in terms of important and not that important. And sometimes we get stuck in a world and culture that is fixated on sensational headlines. You can't be on Twitter and, and, and you've got to have something that pops up that stops the scroll. If you're a business, if you're an enterprise, if you, are, if you work for the news, you've got to have a headline that gets attention. It's got to be big. Because if it's not big, if it's not grabbing, if it's not shocking, no one will pay attention to it. And many times that same ideology plants itself into the manner in which we relate to God. That if somehow our situation isn't shocking or terrible or huge or life-threatening, I don't really want to bring it to God because it's just not that big a deal. And God has way too much on his plate to deal with this. Ever feel that way? I don't want to bother God with that. I'm not even going to pray about it. I'm not going to even talk to anybody about it. This is just, this is just kind of a nuisance. I'll just keep it to myself. And what I love most about this, this, well, this very first miracle is that Jesus shows us something about the very nature of God that many times we forget. And that is that he is the Lord of all of the details of your life. There is nothing that escapes him. And let me encourage you with this this morning. When we're talking about the God of heaven that breathed the stars into existence, the same God, the Bible says, who can cup the waters of the ocean into the palm of his hands. I have great news for you as it pertains to perspective. There is nothing that you can bring to God, that God says, wow, that is really big. That is a big problem. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know what? I need a couple days to think about this, Andy. Let me sit on this for a minute. Or, whoo, where's that hanky? I need to kind of, I, I need to pat my forehead here. This is making me break out a little bit. That is such a big request. When you think you're bringing something to God that's big, it's not big to him. And when you think you're bringing something small to him, I got news for you, everything is small to him. There is nothing that he cannot do. There is nothing that he doesn't know about your life. The scriptures say that he knows the very amount of hairs on your head. How little you may have. Or how much you may have. There's nothing he doesn't know. And he is the God of all all the details but he's not just the god of it he actually cares about it do you catch this church that that god cares about the decisions you're making the things that you think are seemingly so small you have a god that is not indifferent to the things that you care about in your heart and that is great news for you and i 
He's not indifferent to you. He's not the God of the, the Greek gods. He's not the Roman gods of the age that were somehow Hercules or somehow Zeus who would occasionally make a visit with a thunderbolt and, and grace his people with their presence and then go back up to Mount Olympus where he would reside and make his yearly annual visit to acquaint himself with people. That is not the God that we serve. He is intimately acquainted with the affairs and details of your life. And he cares about it. I can forget that. And when you're starting a new season and a new chapter and your heart's all a pitter-patter about it, or you're losing sleep over things, or your moving truck isn't working out the way you thought it was, or your job situation is bugging you beyond, beyond. Or that relationship has you nervous because you, you, you sense it moving forward or you sense yourself backing up and you, you, you think about these, well, I'm not going to bother God with this. Oh, you should bother God with it. You know why? Because he's not actually bothered by it. He loves his sons and his daughters, and he cares about the details of your life. God cares about your non-critical problems. He cared that there wasn't enough wine at this party. Now, let's just back, let's back the tape up a second. Because you've got to love the Bible, and you can't read it like you would if you, as an American. Because even my emphasis that I read it on, read it through... It, I'm reading it as I would, you know, a young man in my house, right? And you got to love Mary, who is Jesus' mother, and she plays the mom card here. Oh, snap. What, the wine is running out. Where's Jesus? Now, I'm going to help you out this, this way this morning. It didn't even occur to me until today. The only reason Mary knows to go to Jesus in this moment, he has not revealed himself as Messiah, but yet she instinctively knows to go to her son, Jesus, which tells us that she has seen Jesus move in ways that maybe defy rational understanding. I'm not saying that God is, a, you know, Jesus is, is just kind of snapping his fingers and, and all of a sudden the table's set or the dishes are kind of magically floating and finding themselves in the shelves, although that would be amazing. But there's something about Mary she knows. If there's anybody who can do something about this, it's Jesus. My Jesus, my son is going to care enough about this. And Jesus' response, woman, why do you involve me with this? Now, you can't read it like that, but we do read it like that, do we not? You see the word woman and you think, dang. Jesus just sent one to his mother. If I had said that to, in my house, if my mom asked me to do something and I said, woman, my father would have sprung out of that chair and said, son, try again. You know, like there, there would have been no playing here. But what you have to understand is this isn't disrespectful. He's not being disrespectful. It's the same word he used on the cross when he's beholding his mother. He is letting her know that their relationship, he is signaling to her that their relationship in this moment is shifting. But it's in, in the same way that you would use the word, yes, yes, ma'am. 
or misses or miss. He is he's addressing his mother not in a way that we understand it as disrespectful, but in a way that is very respectful and honoring, yet also letting her know my time as simply existing as the boy in your house is over. And he says, well, my hour hasn't come. Meaning this isn't my moment to reveal to everyone that I am the Messiah. And yet in the same way that Mary is moved by the details of this family, so is Jesus. And I love the fact that his first miracle, it isn't healing someone. He isn't preaching a, you know, just a fiery message to Pharisees in this moment. He's not preaching at all. There's no one who's diseased or who's dead or that needs deliverance or is possessed. You've got a party and the party is running out of gas. And Jesus' first miracle is to make the party better. That is literally his first miracle. You thought that wine was good. Check this out. And that is the picture of Jesus and that abundant life. He is the God. He is the Jehovah Jireh who can take nothing and make something. You thought it was good over here? Try this. You thought this was working for you? Try working this out. There is no one like the Jesus that we serve and know. And when he revealed himself in this little moment, the servants knew who he was. His disciples began to know who he was. And Mary knew who he was, but nobody else caught it. Even when you aren't aware of your needs, Jesus is still working on your behalf. Even when you don't even know. Bride and bridegroom are having a good time. As far as we know, they never even know or find out what Jesus did church you should be encouraged this morning when you know your needs how much does jesus meet you in the middle of them but even when you don't he is still working on your behalf amen you want to start a season out right and well trust the god of the details i want to share a story with you to illustrate it you know, we have a, every nation, the ministry we're part of, we have lots of churches around the U.S. and around the world, over 80 countries. And the church that my wife and I helped start a few years ago, five years ago-ish, or no, sorry, almost 10 years ago now, in Orlando, Florida, uh, is now multiplying churches, and they're starting new New, new campuses in different areas of the world. And so one of those spots that we've been working on that we as a church have joined forces on is in Cuba. We've partnered with our, um, our ministries there. But the other one that's been exciting to see develop is, is St. Thomas, the island of St. Thomas. And I realize it's easy to think how difficult life must be as missionaries in a place like St. Thomas. I haven't yet gone, right? But the pictures are breathtaking. If you're looking for a really nice mission trip, that may be the one to sign up for. The University of St. Thomas has been opening its doors to us, and so we've been able to minister there. And 
some of the relationships that we've developed there are with some of the head coaches of basketball teams. Head coach of the women's basketball team at, at the University of St. Thomas and the same at the head coach for the University of St. Thomas for men's basketball. We're seeing students come. We've seen people come to faith, and slowly but surely we're seeing an island church begin. And as we're talking, well, many of the coaches and many of the professors have families that live stateside. And yet they serve and work on the island during the school year, make occasional trips home. And I've met some of the coaches now, and we're you know, working together, and we're on the phone some, and, and one of the coaches is mentioning how much you know, he loves what's happening in St. Thomas, but would love for his family to be able to experience it. And so Keith and I are wondering, well, where does your family live? I said, well, obviously I'm in, I'm in St. Thomas, but my family lives in Georgia. So it's, you know, they're going to have a hard time getting connected to this. I'm like, well, okay. Well, where in Georgia? Oh, the Atlanta area. <laughs> where in Atlanta? Marietta. <laughs> Other coach chimes in. I've got family, too, and they live, I don't know if you're familiar with the area, in Kennesaw, Georgia. <laughs> And Keith and I, Pastor Keith, who pastors our church in Orlando, we both kind of have the, okay, just to make sure that I'm hearing this right, we have sent missionaries to help start a new work on the island of St. Thomas. We've also sent Pastor Andy and Amy to start a church several years ago in the city of Kennesaw, Georgia. And as we are seeing people come to faith and we're getting connected with the university and different coaches or different families are getting connected, your greatest need is that your family would be able to experience this. And what you're telling me is that your family lives in Marietta and your family lives in Kennesaw. I couldn't have scripted this. I couldn't have made this happen of all cities in the entire United States where God would arrange pieces and make things fit together. How is it possible that you would be reached on an island and connected and yet your family would be in the same city that we've just recently planted a church in? And it, might I also just inform you, Atlanta has like 9 billion people. Of all the places you could be moving to or have family in Atlanta... It's its own country. <laughs> God is the God of details. And he is working when you don't even know he's working. Yeah. He's working five years ago for your five-year-ahead plan. Yeah. He's working in situations you don't even get yet. The bride and the bridegroom had a problem. And they didn't even know they had a problem. And God shows up in a powerful way through his son Jesus. And guess who's blessed by it? Well, everybody that's there. But it's the servants who look and recognize. There's something about this man that is not like any other man. And it's his disciples who began to believe. 
And sometimes you've got issues and sometimes you have problems and sometimes we've got, we've got water to wine moments that are difficult. And I want you to be slightly encouraged this morning that sometimes the issues that you're facing, God will use to open the eyes of somebody else. You want to start a season well, remember, we serve a God who is intimately acquainted with the details. I have so much more to preach this morning, and I'm not going to be able to, but I'm going to give you two quick things. As you're starting a new chapter, I want you to be reminded today the gospel blessing is often preceded by gospel obedience. Gospel blessing is often preceded by gospel obedience. We live in a culture where you just get a handout trophy for anything and everything. But Jesus many times gives a command and the blessing follows your willingness to sink your teeth into that thing. Follow me here. Jesus is with the man who is blind, and Jesus says to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And as he does so, as he obeys, his eyes are open. Jesus sees a man with a, with, with a shriveled up hand, and he says, young man, stretch out your hand. Jesus is in front of ten lepers, and he says, go and present yourself to the priests, and as they go, they are healed. Jesus speaks to the tomb and says, Lazarus, get up and come out. See, there is a command that happens from our Lord and Savior, and if you are willing to obey it, if you're willing to say, okay, I don't fully grasp this. I don't always get how it's at. I don't get what's happening here, God, but I'm willing to obey you nonetheless. Many times you will experience God's blessing. In ways that you didn't foresee, you didn't expect, you didn't know, but you need to obey right back here. I'm not saying that you earn your salvation by works at all. But the amount of times, church, where we see God's blessing contingent upon you simply saying, okay, I'll do this by faith. And you experience the blessing of God in your life. What did Jesus say to these servants? Okay. Fill up these jars. Fill them up. Now, he probably didn't say it like that. Fill them up. Right? These are ceremonial washing jars. They each hold 20 to 30 gallons you know how much water that is? You're talking about roughly a thousand bottles worth of wine. Okay? Now, this isn't like you can get a garden hose and just stick it in the end of a jar and wait till it kind of gets filled and then stick the hose in the other one. That's how we do right at the house. You're, you're filling up the, maybe a kiddie pool or you're, you're spraying the lawn. You know, you, you crank down here and you, you just kind of spray everything and water comes and you don't even think about it. That's not how this is working. Hey, go fill these up. You wouldn't even have been able to pick one of these bad boys up and, and do the little sumo squat with it. It's that heavy. Two guys wouldn't have been able to carry this. 
And so they're probably most likely taking buckets to a well or some kind of pool and one after the other, one after the other, and one after the other, they're beginning to fill these things up. And I love that the servants, they accept Jesus' command. And what did the scriptures say that they did? They filled these jars to the brim. They filled them to the brim. I don't know about you, but when, when Jesus is, is working in my life and the Holy Spirit is working in my life, there's a tremendous tendency to want to do it about three quarters of the way. There's a tremendous tendency to, to see the kind of water rising to the top of the jar and kind of peering in and being able to look and say, that's fine, that's enough, I think that's okay, we're, we're good here. My obedience in this area is now sufficient. And as I get older and I get more comfortable as a Christian and, I, and, and you just kind of settle into your ways, as you get older, it becomes easier and easier and easier to avoid living your life to the brim. Where the water is just... It's all the way to the top. And if it gets kind of nudged or, or bumped, guess what's coming out? Water's coming out the side of it. You're so filled to the top. And every single thing that you're doing for God, that it's just, it's just kind of got that, that cresting look to it. And you know if I even touch this, it's running over the side and onto the floor. The servants filled the jars to the brim. And when I'm starting and you're starting this new chapter in this new season, Listen to me, church. Don't go halfway. Don't go three quarters of the way. Go all the way in for Jesus and live your life to the brim. Obey him to the brim. Read your Bible to the brim. Have a prayer life to the brim. Love your neighbors to the brim. Hear God and do what he is saying with abandonment, with reckless abandonment. Give him every single thing that you've got. And hold nothing back. And you will taste and see God move in ways that a half full jar will never experience. Now, I'm not going to sit here and promise you, do these things and you will experience your water turning to what? No. I can't promise that, and I'm not going to. But I know what it looks like to live for Jesus. And I know what it looks like when Jesus, time and time and time again, moves powerfully in the lives of the people he's ministering to. Many times there's a trusting of the details I give this to you. I give my hand that's shriveled to you. I give my dead child to you. I give my, my inadequacy to you. I'm giving the fact that I don't have enough food or, or, or water to you. I'm giving you the details. And then, Jesus, when you tell me to do it, I'm going to do it, and I'm doing it all the way. We live life to the brim, and we experience... water of your life feeling a lot more like wine.
In just a moment, our, our kids are going to be coming into the room here. It's Promotion Sunday. Preparing for the message, what I wanted our teens and our, our youth to see and our little ones to see. Regardless of whether you have kids or not. I know some of you are trying. Some of you have been trying. Some of you don't have children. And so moments with kids can be sensitive. And I, I realize that. And even though that's true, I'm asking you to do something this morning to trust him with the details and also that we would be a church collectively that lives passionately to the brim. And that means whether you have kids or not, we still value the next generation and we value them knowing Jesus. And we value them seeing adults in a church that's passionate about worshiping and loving Jesus. You want to make a difference in the next generation? Well, let's live life to the brim. Let's let our worship and our passion not look like a half-full jar. Let's make it look like, like, like it should be, a jar that's filled to the brim, that's, that's, that's spilling over the sides. In just a moment, our ushers are literally going to be passing out these, these little, what do you call them, glow sticks? They kind of light up and change colors. We're going to be starting a song that you haven't heard before called Tribes. And it's fun. It's celebratory. It's worshipful. And we're going to sing together in worship. And as our kids walk down the, the aisle right here, we're literally going to create like a little glow tunnel for them. And they're going to come down here. We're going to pray for their school year ahead that God would not only work in their hearts, but that he would use them as young ambassadors in the places where he has placed them. But if we want them to live this way, you know what they need to see? They need to see a people living this way. A people who are trusting God with the affairs and details of their life and a people who accept God's commands and do them, obey them, and live life 